This week's Torah portion, Re'eh, contains one of three times that the Torah gives us the same dietary law. Do not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Now, kid is baby goat, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Now, why three times? The, the rabbis teach us that nothing in the Torah is redundant. And if the law is given three times, we learn there has to be a reason. One of my favorite jokes, which I'm sure some of you have heard me tell many times, but that won't stop me from telling it again, explains one answer why. The story goes that Moses was standing on Mount Sinai when God said, don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. And Moses asked, so you don't want us to mix milk and meat at all? So God said for a second time, don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. So Moses replied, so you want us to wait half an hour after eating dairy before eating meat and six hours after eating meat before eating something dairy? To which God said, now for a third time, don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. Moses answered, oh, so you want us to have separate dishes for meat and for dairy? At which point God replied, Moses, do whatever you want. <laughs> now, the rabbis of the Talmud don't quite accept the joke's reasoning. While the law, in fact, most likely originated to keep us from copying a pagan ritual of literally slaughtering a baby goat and boiling it in its mother's milk, already by the time of the Talmud, the law is understood, for the most part, to prohibit the mixture of any meat with dairy. So why three times? Nothing in the Torah is supposed to be superfluous, so the rabbis teach us that the verse appears three times to tell us that, one, we can't eat the mixture of milk and meat. Two, we can't cook a mixture of milk and meat. And three, we cannot receive any benefit from the mixture of milk and meat, meaning that we couldn't sell it or feed it to animals, etc. What makes this debate even more interesting is there's another verse in this week's Torah portion which is appearing for the second time in our Torah. And it says, Be careful to observe only that which I enjoin upon you, neither add to it nor take away from it. Now for the rabbis of the Talmud whose job it was to make a fence around the Torah, enlarging the scope of the laws to ensure that we were not transgressing in any way, this could be a major problem. How can we make do not boil a kid in its mother's milk into separate dishes for milk and meat without being accused of adding to the law. This is only one example of hundreds in which the rabbinic interpretation of the law seems to be quite a bit stricter than the literal reading. Therefore, the rabbis deduce that do not add or take away only refers to quantitative changes, changes dealing with numbers. 
So Rashi gives the example that when we celebrate Sukkot with the four species of lulav and etrog, the palm, the myrtle, the willow, and the etrog, we cannot add or take away from those four. We couldn't have three, we couldn't have five. And there are three blessings in the priestly blessing, the yivarechacha, may God bless you and keep you. And we couldn't add or take away from those three. Now, the quantitative answer doesn't answer how the seven days of Passover becomes eight outside of Israel, but our ritual discussion will stop here for now. This is not a reform versus orthodox sermon. You know I love those. I promise there will be many of those during our time together, but not tonight. Both reform and orthodox can be accused of both adding to and taking away from the law. The rabbi's explanation shows that Judaism as we know it is a religion of interpretation. And according to our tradition, there is a difference between interpreting and adding or taking away. The fact is, it is impossible to remain completely literal all the time. Whether we're referring to the law of Torah, the laws of this country, or even a simple conversation with a friend. How do we understand the words that were given without adding, or in some cases taking away from, the literal meaning? A friend offers to do us a favor. That's it. Do we automatically assume that he wants something in return? Or maybe he's done something horrible affecting us and is trying to butter us up before telling. Does that not add to the meaning of the gesture or really take away from the offer when all we literally know is that our friend is doing something nice for us? Or imagine the following scenario. Harry calls his friend Sally and asks her if she wants to go to dinner. Sally says, oh, I can't tonight, maybe another time. That's it. But Harry hangs up and decides this means Sally has no interest in ever seeing him again. Maybe he's done something to offend her. Maybe the last time they were together, he was talking while he was eating and spit on her, which if I spit on anyone during the new member preneg, I apologize. I hope you'll all go out with me again. But this is all absurd, right? What did she say? Not tonight, maybe another time. How could Harry possibly make one statement mean so much? It's not absurd, though. The reality is that all of us, whether we are aware of it or not, do in fact mean more than we say. Social disorders such as Asperger are defined by the inability to pick up on some of these social cues, the messages behind the words we say that are never said. This wouldn't be a problem if there weren't so much behind the things we say. If we only took the literal meaning of what people said, we would be in as much trouble as one who adds too much meaning to the literal. The Torah says, Be careful to observe only that which I enjoin upon you, neither add to it nor take away from it. And even though keeping Judaism a living, surviving religion would not be possible without reinterpreting our commandments, this verse gives us a warning. It tells us there has to be limits in our interpretation. 
No Orthodox synagogue would say that just to be safe, we're making Passover three weeks this year. And no Reform synagogue would say that due to the inconvenience caused, Rosh Hashanah is going to be observed in November this year. Although, wouldn't that make things nice? The same must be true with our social interactions. There are boundaries. There are limits. If someone says no several times to that dinner, maybe there's a message we're missing. But at the same time, if our interpretation of another's words is so far off from what they actually said, maybe we need to ask whether or not we're interpreting correctly. This is the difference between our relationships with one another and with our Judaism. Contrary to the joke, I cannot ask God what was meant by don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. The best I can do is read the sources and make the best interpretation for me that I can make. But that joke could very easily be changed to be a conversation between a husband and wife, two colleagues, two friends, or children and parents. When a friend, a colleague, or a loved one says something whose meaning we question or that we think may mean something different, we don't have to guess what they really mean. We have different options. And too often relationships are ruined because of misinterpretations, overanalysis, missed cues, added or subtracted meaning. And too often these relationships could have been saved by a simple clarification. This weekend we celebrate Rosh Chodesh Elul, the beginning of the month before Tishrei, a month in which we are to begin to prepare for the High Holy Days, to begin to evaluate our lives and our relationships. Let us not only think carefully about the words that we say, but also about the message we mean. Let us try to be as clear and compassionate as possible with those around us so that we will not be misunderstood. Let us be careful not to over-assume that which we believe to be implied, seeking clarification when needed. And let us use this month and these upcoming High Holy Days as an opportunity to repair those relationships in which a little clarification, correcting unintended meaning, could go a long way. This week's Torah portion begins with a verse that is also repeated often in our text. See, I have set before you blessing and curse. Let us ensure that we don't make curses out of what are actually blessings by adding to or taking away from that which is holy in the relationships in each of our lives. And instead, may we seek out the true meaning of our interactions, leading to a year of blessing and peace. Amen.